Good evening, godless sodomites. Let me get in the, get in the character. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Red Welcome yellow. to the. What's that? That was doing a vocal warm up. Sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, so welcome to the excommunication station i'm your host chaz i am joined by donovan today how are you donovan i'm good sir how are you i'm doing all right chrissy is is some family stuff so uh, i have a special episode for us today uh but uh, we are your hip new youth pastors and it's Sunday, Sunday, gotta go to church on Sunday. Everybody You're a piece looking of shit. forward to communion, communion. <laughs> Sorry, uh, you had a we... lot on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was gonna stop at Sunday. <laughs> oh no, I was gonna do the whole thing, but you know, you, you cut me off. Uh, <laughs> oh shit! Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, weekly we do a deep dive into the weird, the wild, and the wicked that we grew up uh, and we experienced in growing up in the church, uh, and this is the Inquisition. Donovan, why can't Satan just say he's sorry? I feel what I feel like there was a time where he tried. Was there? Or am I imagining that? Um, I think maybe that was a fictional book, but I could be wrong. Yeah, it's probably fiction. I, 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 I've gone down the road of a lot of the, you know, those retellings and rehashings of like Christian folklore because I'm like, hey, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, so, because uh, God's a big meanie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really weird. Like we can say sorry, can't we? Right. I never like, thought of it can, like that, honestly. We can do the worst things ever, and you know, I don't know. Maybe it's because angels were made to worship and they weren't made to have free will and i don't know i don't know how it works and maybe it's just god is god is just a, a very vain person and the second somebody else is like but what about me yeah yeah <laughs> that's probably it so now i'm not trying to look at it logically i guess yeah um, logic and this no those two don't go together <laughs> yeah absolutely not so but before we get into today's episode we need to do the most important thing and that is to pray so take the hand of the person next to you and if you're driving let jesus take the wheel my name is demetrius papadatos from sydney australia this is a message from the lord who spoke to me on the night on the 25th uh, october when I was fasting for 15 days and um, the, the body of Christ needs to repent. Uh, we have 40 days to repent. Starting from the, uh, from the 25th of October. The body of Christ is in danger and it's very important. And the Lord spoke to me with an audible voice in my heart a week later after when I was um, taking communion and seeking um, the Lord's face. And the Lord said to me, you need to repent from from the vaccine that you uh, injected in you. 
and you need to seek him wholeheartedly and pray and fast so that you can be cleansed and be delivered. sucks this time you're like oh yeah what's yeah. happening thanks batman <laughs> i solved the riddle um, <laughs> right right what did you do what did you do <laughs> great movie it was amazing oh but have you ever heard of a man named jonathan david brown man what is with these christians and these three names <laughs> I no, I assume that you haven't. Okay. No, nope, no, uh, no. Jonathan David Brown was born on November 20th, 1955 in Oklahoma City. He was born into music. His grandfather owned a music store and his father was a musician. He learned to play just about every instrument that he could get his hands on. He would go around Oklahoma and play with his father to earn extra money. And he usually played the drums and the banjo while his father performed. Religion was a big part of his childhood, and when he was 17, he said he was ordained to be a minister. Oh, Brown, God. Cl- Brown claims that his grandfather was a major influence on his spiritual life. What? What's the matter? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just putting pieces together, buddy. Keep okay. going. <laughs> <laughs> he got involved playing in his own bands as a teenager. His first few bands were called the His Men, H-I-S. Of course. The, the perfect combination and Blues Rose Junction. Oh wow. That was a little that was a little out of left field. I thought you were yeah, gonna be like yeah. the fisherman. <laughs> <laughs> the Blue Rose Junction. What happened? Somebody like spiked his fucking coffee with LSD one day. <laughs> my my guess is that he was just asked to perform in that or something. And he was like, All right, I'll play some blues. Um, no, he had nothing to do with the naming. He was just like, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> his biggest biggest and best project up to that point was a carpenter-esque band called seth uh because of his own music ability he was offered a feel full scholarship to oral roberts university but he declined oh. it oh yeah Ooh. mr fancy uh, fancy yeah don't need no education uh he <laughs> didn't uh he didn't want to be a minister and he wanted to follow music so he got married to his high school girlfriend and moved to Northern California or Northern Hollywood, I'm sorry, to work at Mama's Joe's recording studio. This is where he would work on his future. He would help work with artists coming through and that helped develop his own talent. The biggest being Alan Parsons of the Alan Parsons Project. What? Um, yeah. 
around 19, <laughs> around 1975, he took a job with, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, uh, Marathana Music. Hmm. Yeah, Marathana. Marathana no Music. Idea. Yeah, Marathana Music was started in 1971 by Calvary Chapel as a way of making and spreading what they call Jesus music. Jesus music came. Jesus music came from the Jesus people or Jesus movement from the late 60s and 70s. Clever name. Yeah. uh, Always, always with the good names. Uh, uh, That's Jesus music. I mean, our our podcast is called the S communication station. So I guess we can't really say much. Um, Hey, man. (laughs) <laughs> truth comes hey, up about how you feel about that name huh <laughs> i was originally gonna call it uh uh james Do- dobson's bastard children but i didn't know how that would go over uh oh uh, yeah that's true <laughs> that's yeah. great though it's like dumbledore's army <laughs> yeah uh as many hippies came to christ through the growing movement <clears throat> many of them were musicians and transferred their already god-awful music into god-awful praise music the Jesus people wanted to record, so they started their own label. Brown was ready for the task. He helped to design and construct the Good News Recording Studio, where Brown would work with some Christian heavyweights of not just would work with heavyweights, not just of Christian music, but the world of music as a whole, with groups like Mustard Seed Faith, Gentle Faith, George Michael's Faith, Bethlehem. You didn't, did, you I know. got it. I got it. Okay. Um, <laughs> Tony, Tony Corner, in the Crosswinds, and we can't what? forget the Marathon music music singers. What the fuck is what? He is. <laughs> what was I know all these. You know all these bands, don't you? Oh my god, man! Spotify crazy. <laughs> you should see my Mustard Seed Fade collection. I thought you were going to say mustard plug for a second. I was like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> oh, I've seen mustard plug a couple times. I love mustard plug. I love mustard plug. That's what I was going to say. That, that came out of left field again. <laughs> this guy just keeps throwing these curveballs. Can you imagine if I was just like, and he worked with mustard plug and less than Jake and the specials. And I honestly, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to stop drinking this coffee because I thought that's where this was going for a second. I got excited. <laughs> yes, we're going to talk about the Christian ska movement. Um, yes. <laughs> I have bigger frenzy coming up next. (laughs) As Brown's discography grew longer, so did his workload and his talents were in demand. I don't imagine finger frenzy. Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Coffee's gone across the desk. (laughs) I don't imagine there was a vast amount of legitimate Christian song producers to choose from, but that wasn't to say he wasn't talented. It's just to say that Christians would more likely want to work with other Christians in the 80s and he was exactly. probably right at the top of the list, and there weren't probably very many to choose from. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's really funny imagining that situation. He, I'm top dog, you see. I'm big guy. Everybody wants to get a hold of me. <laughs> What's that? Only one in town? Only one in the country? You got it. I'll be right there. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't imagine the grow the. I mean, there's you would have Christian song producers, but I don't imagine you have very many of them that would want to work with Jesus people. Um, and right. like ex hippies. So, but anyway, it's like if you look at like old Nickelodeon shows and Dan Schneider was involved with everything, mm-hmm. it's not that he was the best, he was just there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
around that around the time that brown was building his resume a small christian rock band was starting off in fort wayne indiana things weren't stable at first but by the time the band had put out their third album they had settled on a steady lineup and were about to take the christian music world by storm petra had released a self-titled album in 1974 do you know petra that that, that one's ringing a bell for sure okay uh, Come and Join Us came out in 1977. Uh, they were having constant issues nailing down a stable lineup as well as a vocalist. On their third album in 1979, Washes Whiter Than, they would rotate vocals between three different people, one of them oh, being part time singer Greg X. Voles. Voles had been, had been offered to become Ario Speedwagon's new singer, but he declined. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. These guys uh, are way too good for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so he, he, he declined that, uh, because he'd become an, uh, a new Christian. Oh, and so he did. He did, decided to join Petra full time in, instead with a new vocalist came a new style of music. They were done ripping off Kansas and now where they were trying to <laughs> rip off foreigner. Um, oh God. along with the new sound and new members, they had a new label star song. They wanted someone with experience and with faith to help them, their, their new artists, to reach their full potential. And in walks Jonathan David Brown. The arena rock sound was perfect for both Petra and Brown. They got together in Pasadena and recorded the 1981 Never Say Die album. Petra, oh, Petra not only changed their sound, but their message. They were less about praise music and more about songs about spiritual warfare and battling for your soul. Personally, like, this is my go ahead. Like Striper? Yeah, sort of. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, this they were before Striper. Yeah, right. So, Less hair yeah. metal, more like old school, like classic rockish kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um personally, this is my favorite era of Petra. I was a big Petra fan growing up. Um mm -hmm. the, part of the reasons why I'm so excited about doing this episode. Um, I'm gonna be honest with you, I have no idea about this band. As far as okay. like Christian like bands and stuff, I know most like mm -hmm. 80s and 90s stuff. Yeah, they started out in the 70s, were really, really big in the 80s and then early 90s and then kind of fell off. But we'll get into that in a second. But um, I, I also chuckled when you said when you said that uh, he was in a Christian band similar to the Carpenters. I just remembered that because it's like, yeah. hey, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah, personally, this is my favorite era of Petra. Uh, the years they worked with Brown was their personally, I think, was their best and most complex work. Uh, Greg X. Vols is an, is an absolutely amazing singer. I would put him up against most vocalists of that area, uh, Christian oh, wow. and non-Christian. So I, awesome. uh, I have no doubt believing that he was offered the role in REO Speedwagon. Right, but they they scored their first Christian radio radio hit with the coloring song, which okay. is my least favorite song on that album. But that's besides the point. Uh, that's they the way finally, it usually goes. <laughs> yeah, so they finally made their mark. Uh, they retreated to the Texas uh, Texas Ranch to record the 1982 album, "More Power to You." This was another great arena rock album. Brown Brown did something bold for the band at this point. Right before the song Judas Kiss, 
Brown came up with the idea of recording a back masking message and putting it on the album. Oh, God. <laughs> back masking was recording something and then putting it backwards in your record to hide some sort of message or joke, like serve Satan. Paul is dead. Yes. <laughs> kill your parents or join the Navy. Christians were obsessed <laughs> with it. They were paranoid about it and heard it in everything uh, where that, you know, where there was something, but usually there was nothing. Um, right. They, they couldn't realize that Deicide or Soundgarden were just fucking with them. <laughs> but to throw this in our, their face, go ahead. I was going to say, are making up a completely secret hidden verse for fucking Stairway to Heaven yeah, by playing yeah. it backwards. <laughs> The, the message when played backwards said, why are you looking for the devil when you ought to be looking for the Lord? Oh, shit. <laughs> A slap in the face for the non-rockin' Christian crowd who didn't like Christian rock to begin with. That's and really more. funny. Can, can you imagine like being super drunk or super stony? Like, dude, put on that Christian album with Super Satan in it, dude. <laughs> and then you just start, start playing it backwards and it's like, why are you looking for the devil? Yo, Sean Bailey, and you're just like, oh, shit. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> no more weed, man. Oh, devil's lettuce. They call it that for a reason, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, as boring as Petra sounds today, they were very controversial for the early 80s, and Brown was happy living in that controversy. In 1982, Brown also started working, working with a young country artist named Twyla Paris. I think you're going to say Toby Keith. <laughs> oh, no, that would be awesome. Yeah. Tim McGraw. Um, <laughs> All right. Conway Twitty. Yeah, Wait, yeah. what? Gar 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he was very instrumental in getting her star off the, into the country sky. Um, I, I know that some of our listeners, they know mm -hmm. who Twilight Paris is. I'm sure that uh, Chrissy does. Um, she went on to become Dolly Parton, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> Dolly Parton's her fake is her fake name. Um, <laughs> Brown, Brown would make a bold decision on behalf of Petra for their next album, 1983, Not of This World. Brown would use the Session drummer instead of drummer Louis Weaver. He also replaced some of the bass tracks with a synthesizer. Sorry. Um, this started to drive a wedge between the band, Brown, and Greg X. Foles, who that was a loyal like controversy. Yeah, so who was loyal to Brown and would, but, and would remain lifelong friends with him. Regardless, it would earn Petra and Brown their first Grammy nomination for Best Gospel Performance. Oh, shit. Yeah, and that's so weird that, like, they put that in. I don't even know who else was nominated that year, but, like. For Gospel? Know, have, yeah, the Arena Rock and then, you know, some, I don't know, 90-year-old preacher guy standing up there singing. <laughs> nail me to the cross or whatever so it was uh, fucking uh god damn it i can never remember his real name it was a uh, gomer pile <laughs> oh what the fuck was his name jim jim uh, Bar not jim barney <laughs> jim barney <laughs> <laughs> i want to see his gospel Ernest. album <laughs> his, his fucking gospel Yo, album me, Vern. <laughs> you want to go hell <laughs> gonna sit here and we gotta worship jesus <laughs> Uh, but anyway, <laughs> 1983 also brought Brown into the path of one of my all-time favorite Christian artists, and I mean this sincerely, Steve Taylor. 
Steve Taylor is one of the most controversial, controversial Christian artists ever. Uh, he was a master of satire, and it was biting and infuriating to the status quo of the church. He was mm. the Jello Biafra of Christian rock. Jimmy Swagger called him out by name uh, as an evil using Christian message to seduce young kids to the devil or some bullshit like that. Um, <laughs> Jimmy Swagger actually wrote a book about uh, Christian rock and how it's evil. Um, of course and, he did. Yeah, and went off on Steve Taylor in that book. But in 1983, Brown produced Taylor's first EP, I Want to Be a Clone. I gone through so much other stuff that walking down the aisle was tough, but now I know it's not enough. I want to be a clone. I asked the Lord into my heart, they said that was the way to start, but now you've got to play the part. I want to be a clone. Be a clone and get conviction, good night. Cloneliness is next to godliness. Right. I'm grateful that they showed the way to Taylor went for the jugular with the title track, and I'm gonna read some of the lyrics even though reading it's, lyrics sounds weird but um, i think we've talked about this before right this uh guy. possibly yeah yeah um i'm talking lyri- about personally just me and you yeah yeah uh they told me i'd fall away unless i followed what they say who needs the bible anyway i want to be a clone that their language it was new to me but christianese got through to me now i speak it fluently i want to be a clone and it goes on, but he mm-hmm. he just basically rips apart the idea of falling in line to what the yeah. powers maybe want you to be. Um, right. On the song Steeplechase on an album, he went after people who shop to find one church that fits their beliefs after another. Oh, man, called- I wish I knew this dude when I was a fucking kid, because this sounds like something I would have totally been into. <laughs> oh, this is this is I, I want to say he's very instrumental in changing my. That's awesome. On a lot of things. Um, That's awesome. He loved, he loved calling out hypocrisy and wrongdoing within the church. Something mm-hmm. that never makes you popular with the crowd. It makes a lot of sense why I never fucking heard of this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Dad's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I am going Listen to, to Weird Al instead. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to future do a future episode on Steve Taylor just because he's he's I don't believe he's a Christian anymore. So um, that that'll It'd be, be interesting because I've never even heard of him. And everything you just said in that little bit is like, yeah, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next year off the of success and rave reviews of the EP Sparrow Sparrow Records paid up for Taylor to enter the recording studio a second time with Brown for 1984's Meltdown. Taylor doesn't back down on this album. He goes right after Jimmy Swaggart and all the others like oh, him shit. with the song Guilty by Association. Oh, shit. More importantly, and something that left a lasting impact was Taylor's song, We Don't Need No Color Code. Taylor went after Bob Jones University and their history of racial, racist enrollment procedures and how it treated its black student wow. body. From 1927 to 1971, BJU didn't, uh, did not allow black students while allowing all other minorities. From 1971 to 1975, they would allow black married couples only. In 1975, 
They allowed single black students to enroll, but would not allow interracial dating or marriages. This called the, caused them to be sued, which eventually went, eventually went to the Supreme Court on the basis mm. that BJU could not keep its tax-exempt status if it chose to racially discriminate against applicants and students. In 1983, wow. BJU lost their case. They lost their tax-exempt status and paid $1 million in back taxes, but kept their policy of interracial dating and marriages in place until the year 2000. Oh my God! Of course they did. They because it's print. It's the principle. What's the principle? Yeah. yeah. In wow. response, Taylor wrote a scathing rebuke of BJU's BS. Jonathan David Brown not only produced the song but also sang backing vocals. And again, oh, I'm, I'm going to be very cringeworthy and read these vocals. No, go I'll read for these it, lyrics. Bro. Um, down Carolina's way lived a man named Old Big BJ. BJ went and got a school, founded on a Caucasian rule. Bumper stickers on his Ford says honkies if you love the Lord. Oh my God. We don't, we don't need no color code. Take your rules and hit the road. Judgment, judgment day is going down. Better burn your cap and gown. White man speaks with forked tongue. White supremacists eat their young. Bigotry is on the loose. Ignorance is no excuse. I know Bro. Jesus love, loves that man, even with a Greenville tan. We don't need no color code. Take your rules and hit the road. Judgment day is going down. Better burn your cap and gown. Marching to... Suit? Go ahead. Keep going. Keep, no, keep going. Keep going. Marching to Pretoria, which is was a, I think was the capital of South Africa. Um, color codes in churches, huh? Follow a racist creed. Whose translation do you read? True believers won't be snowed. We don't need no color code. Yeah. Uh, how much of that were you reading going off of, or going off of memory? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, it felt like you were just singing along. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm, uh, it's tough to say how in, in influential C. Taylor is on my That's, life. Uh, I can see how, uh, you know, someone who's like starting to doubt things or like mm-hmm. starting to see the forest for the trees, you know, just be like, this is, this, there's a lot of things that are being said that feels wrong. And mm-hmm. then you, that's, you find that median, like we talked about before, you know, like that branching, that thing that branches the gap where you're like, it's Christian, but it, it's good. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And this is definitely that guy. So yeah. these, these lyrics yeah. are fucking potent, bro. And yeah, yeah they're really good. What's the, yeah. uh, What's the style of the music though? Like, is it like folksy? Is it punk? Is it rock? So that's part of it's very it's very dated. It's very eighties. A lot of synthesizers, very very poppy. Like we don't need the lyrics are very punk. We don't need no color code. Yeah, it's very it's 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 very like that. So um, the lyrics are very like punk. Like I'm literally hearing like a lot of like just very fast guitar in my head and drums because i never heard the song before but with the lyrics i'm hearing like a yeah Yeah, i'm gonna i'm gonna need no color code yeah i'm gonna drop some of it on the on this episode uh i'm gonna put some songs in 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 here and there but uh uh taylor would move on from brown after this album uh but and put out on the fritz i predict 1990 and my favorite album is 1994 Squint. Uh, side note, Taylor's 1987 album, I predict 1990, got him canceled. 
Uh-oh. The cover was accused of being new age because it looks like a tarot card, but it's not really. It's like a it's a French painting, like a <laughs> it's like a it's him on the front cover, but it's supposed to be of like a French painting, and somebody put you. his face over it. And uh, I predict like nineteen ninety looking thing. Yeah, I predict nineteen ninety is a playoff of a uh, TV evangelist who said some something was going to happen, and he predicted nineteen eighty six. Okay. So for the rapture, you mean? I don't, I don't know what it was for. Probably just something. Yeah. So then Taylor came up with the album the next year called "I Predict 1990," which is four years, three years ahead of time. It was. I got you. Funny. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, the album. The I'm gonna have a really like, fun day today after I get off of this with you because yeah. I'm gonna be checking all this shit out. <laughs> uh, the cover was accused of being new age. Uh, the bigger okay. controversy was the opening track. I blew up the clinic real good. A oh satiric- yep a I satirical- remember this song <laughs> yeah a satirical song about how people who blow up abortion clinics in the name of jesus uh and who claim they're a pro-life rather than push against the extremist views in the pro-life movement many christian bookstores decided to pull his records from the shelves taylor was so sincere about his music and his what he did that he would call bookstores and explain to them what the song was about and try to reconsider reconsider uh pulling his material no so, wow. uh it my my i think one of my favorite songs by uh steve taylor is the song uh cash cow uh which mm-hmm. is on the squint album um so if you'd like what's to that about that oh uh i probably it would have fit really good into 2016 um uh, but like lyrically like what's the song about like what is it like what's he oh, talking it, about in it, it? It's about uh, falling for people, rich Christians with money, basically, and worshiping idols. I love how I asked you to explain it. Yeah. Even I should have figured it out. <laughs> yeah. So the cash that's cow cool though. Looks. Yeah. Anyway, so it's one of my. You're saying the, the way you're singing it sounds like fucking Devo. <laughs> I could yeah, very inspiration inspired by Devo. I could see. I like Talking um, Heads. The cash yeah. cow looks. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's, it's a very, it's, he's very eccentric and, and I don't know, it, it's, it's enjoyable, but it's not That's, over the top. Yeah. So it's, isn't uh, it weird how we can still like, there's still like Christian artists that we were just like, yeah, I mm-hmm. get it. I get mm-hmm. it. This is good music. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I could still vibe to it and I could still jam to it. Like the message is okay. Cause it's not like, you know, burn the building down. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, but. Yeah, um, very, very formative for me. And uh, yeah, I think I'm going to listen to them all day now. <laughs> so yeah, I think uh, I am too. I, I, I was listening to so much Petra going into this uh, interview, or not interview, this uh, episode. I got you. That, uh, he kind of got lost in this. So, but anyway, <laughs> uh, getting back to the story, Brown wasn't done with Petra though. In 1984, he went back into the studio with them again and they put out beat the system 
Petra was going into a synthesizer rock sound. And at this point, is this point, their uh, public enemy cover album? No, no. Nine one one is a joke. Nineteen eighty nine. They were going for more synthesizer sound, but this may have been to the fact that Brown continued to replace bass in other instruments uh, during the recording process. Uh, they like ran was- in the studio. He's like, y'all motherfuckers heard of Europe? <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, ad- this added with the fact that the band's overhead and touring and record- recording process uh, funds was leaving the band broke. Greg X. Vols decided to leave the band and go into a solo career. Brown would join him. During the breakup, Petra and Brown would work on their first live album called Captured in Time and Space. Brown and, X- and, and Vols would work on their first solo album, The River is Rising. In 1985, Brown and his first wife would get divorced, though. <sighs> so both, both of uh, I don't know. I honestly Look couldn't it figure it, find it out. Um, <laughs> So both of these albums, Captured in Time and Space and The River is Rising, Greg X. Vol's, uh solo album, were both released on the same day, on January oh, 1st, 1986. Star Song released Petra's and Murr's released Vol's. Uh, Vol's kind of didn't take off like uh, Petra did. Um, Petra kind of took off after this. Oh, my kinda God, man. Wrong decision. <laughs> That's, I'm getting real, uh, you know... Uh, Dave Mustaine and Metallica vibes. Yeah, yeah, big time. <laughs> yeah, but Wait, what's No, come what happened on. though? Megadeth. No, okay, was, you're right. You're I, right. I, th- I think Megadeth was just as good as Metallica at some points. I'll, I'll get back to you. I'll think of a better reference. I'll get back. Okay, to you. cool. Um, <laughs> uh, Petra Petra would find a new vocalist in John Shit. I mean, I mean John Schlitt. Oh, uh, feelings. Oh, There's feelings. Uh, <laughs> Schlitt and the band would, would go on to a way more con- contemporary rock group sound like Def Leppards in 1986. Oh, fuck. Uh, back back to the, Leopard. In, in 1986, <laughs> they would release Back to the Street. Uh, they, they have such bad album. <laughs> what is that? such a shitty title, dude. <laughs> they're, they're so like, they're so like macho machismo, but they're like the music does not match. You know, back to the street. Yeah, sounds like new uh, kids on the block. <laughs> they put out an, a number of good albums, uh, to great albums like "This Means War," "Petra Means Rock," and my all-time no. personal favorite of the band during this era was "Beyond Belief." Uh, they they tried too hard to catch up with the times and failed, and went on to make their own praise music uh, and putting out shit like that for for years after that nah. but uh yeah they tried to do like the grunge alternative thing like Ooh. two two or three years after that happened and it was terrible so yeah christian music has a way of doing that where they wait a year or two to catch on to trends and it's weird yeah yeah um so but <clears throat> drink real quick Okay. I thought of another uh, reference, but it doesn't make much sense because, you know, I was going to say Steve Perry and Journey, but Journey, Journey was doing really good before they kicked mm-hmm. him out. So <laughs> I think of another so, one. God damn it. Uh, That's Sammy now, Hagar. That didn't work. No, I didn't work <laughs> either. <laughs> it's not uh, Bon Scott. And, you know, Brian Johnson, that didn't work either because he died. And like, what the fuck? 
I'll, I'll keep uh, this in her. <laughs> okay, yeah, you keep thinking about this while I'm talking. Um, okay, gotcha. And then, <laughs> now with Petra and Steve Taylor on the Greener Pastures, Brown focused on mostly Twyla Paris and Greg X. Foles. Uh, Brown would find a, a new light, a new wife, Rachel, in 1987. In 1988, he teamed up with podcast favorite Carmen. Oh out, yeah, to put out the live and radically saved album. In 1990. Now, now we're going to get into good album titles, Chaz. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in 1990, he started working with the Christian group named For Him. That's the oh. number four because there's four oh, members. I hate you. I forgot about them. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking hate you. <laughs> uh, he also God. worked with the with the Gaither band. That was more like a country bluegrass kind of Christian thing. Um, but I can hear some lights on our listeners' heads going off. He's uh, like, that one was for that one was for me. That one was yeah, for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do, I do, I do eighteen for them. I do one for me. <laughs> That's a that's a that's a passion project, um, right? But Donovan, this is the real reason that we're here. I was waiting for it. <laughs> June tenth, nineteen ninety, will be the date that will forever change Brown's life, and the reason why we're talking about a record producer, and not just because he put out some of the biggest music in the nineteen eighties. Mm. Around one a.m. in Nashville, Tennessee, a man and a seventeen-year-old pulled up to a West End synagogue. They pull out a Tech Nine and pointed it out the window of their car and fired it into the synagogue. The trigger man pulled the gun back into his car. The 17-year-old turned off the lights of the car and drove off. The trigger man was named Leonard William Armstrong. He was Tennessee's Grand Dragon of the White Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. The 17-year-old was a Jewish skinhead named Damian Patton. No one was... No one was hurt in the shooting, but it triggered a massive manhunt. The same synagogue has been spray painted and, defa- and defaced with swastikas and racist bullshit just the year before. Young Damien would escape capture and eventually end up in Hawaii and ready to serve our country bravely in Desert Storm. The young skinhead had turned his life around and had reconciled with his father and married his young skinhead girlfriend, and they were about to put their past behind him. The only thing that David couldn't escape was the warrant that was out for his arrest for taking part in the shooting in 1990. Damien had to come back to Tennessee and face the music for his crimes. He took a plea deal and talked about how a young Jewish skinhead from L.A. ended up in the backwoods of Tennessee. Damien had a rough childhood and eventually got wrapped up in the wrong crowd. He rejected his Jewish heritage and became a skinhead. And just for the record, not all skinheads are bad. I know that, so don't. Oh my I, god! I know all about skinheads. So um, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna take the time to separate myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, he became an effective. When we're talking about skinheads here, we're talking about racist skinheads that do uh, <laughs> footwork for the KKK. Um, yeah, not he, people who inv- involuntarily have lost their hair or have alopecia or anything like that. <laughs> or that are that that are non-racist skinheads. Uh, he mm-hmm. became an effective worker and was invited to parties where Fucking other shitbags hung out. Um, he went to one where he met a man who needed a ride back to Tennessee, and if Damien would drive him, he would help set him up out there. Damien decided to do it. Soon after he showed up in Tennessee, he was introduced to Jonathan David Brown. 
Browning as Gaynor. a person, as a person. I thought you were mean like as like isn't this a great producer? <laughs> no, well, a part he was introduced to him because he was a he was a music producer. No, I meant like and, I thought you meant like somebody showed him some music and was like, you know who produced oh, this? Jonathan yeah. David Brown. You want to hear some more of his work? Isn't he swell? <laughs> oh, like this is the man. <laughs> I'm going to introduce you to him. Here he is. <laughs> right. <laughs> Brown and Damien got close very quickly. Damien said that Brown was like a father to him. They shared a love for guns and hating blacks and Jews. Wait a minute. Where is this going? Brown would preach to Damien about the validity of Christian identity. Do, do, do I need to explain? What, I'm going to explain what Christian identity is again. Oh, God. Christian identity is based off the uh, British or Israel. Israel. I can't pronounce it right now. Anyway. Israelite? Israelism. Oh my God. My tongue is Israelism. Israelism. British Israelism. There you go. go. Um, I'm going to cut that all out. Anyway, Christian identity is based based on. You should also just lift that so that when we record again and you you want to say it, you just paste it. (laughs) (laughs) Because you got it right. (laughs) Yeah. Christian identity is based off British Israelism. Oh my God. Copy Uh, paste. Yep. Where they believe that the lost tribes of Israel went north and then west, uh, passed out of the Black Sea and into Europe, and that eventually two of the tribes would come east or west, I'm sorry, into the United States. And, and why? Yes. And why so all of, uh, all of the tribes of Israel are white um, and European. So oh, man. anyway, because we Damien, have to have so much culture. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How can we get more? Well, we could say we were the people that started everything in the Bible. We can make that work. <laughs> <laughs> Damien laid out everything as part of his plea deal. Brown offered to move him into an apartment with his brother, with Brown's brother. Damien, you're going to say with himself, no, <laughs> I can no, let no. you live with me. Well, <laughs> Sort of. Damien moved in with Brown's brother, um, but from my understanding that Brown lived in the same apartment complex, uh, like like a door down. Um, but uh, Brown paid for everything for for Damien. That was everything that he needed was paid for by Brown. Um, wow. Brown also also owned a farm on the outskirts of town. Of course, he did. This farm was used as a hideout for ship bags on the run, Nine as well. Opium as well as a paramilitary training complex. Damien was brought out to work on the farm and also to help build it. Damien would train physically and with weapons on the farm. Brown wouldn't just talk- What the fuck is going on? (laughs) Brown wouldn't just talk to Damien about Christian identity, but about how violence was the only way how to fix things. Oh my God. Brown would talk- to Damien about assassinating federal judges and owners of newspapers. On one occasion, Brown took Damien out to observe the owner of the Tennessean, which is a newspaper in Tennessee, at a function. The Tennessean wrote an article about the uh, the synagogue being spray painted uh, the year before. Um, Not gonna lie, I thought the Tennessean might have been a superhero. Oh, it would be pretty cool. Yeah. Sponsored by a rich man. So, you know, he owned him. <laughs> this is the man who funds the Tennessean. 
<laughs> Wait, is he like a Bruce Wayne? He might yeah. be the Tennessean. <laughs> uh, Brown took Damien out to observe to observe the owner of the Tennessean at a function. Damien believed this was done in re- for research for a possible fu- future execution. Oh my um, god! Brown would have Damien illegally buy guns for him. I I gotta honestly say, man, I didn't know this was where this was going. <laughs> this is uh, I'm I'm a little shocked. It's a little bit more shocking than the name of, name of that band, the Blue Rose Junction era, the fuck it was called. <laughs> Uh, specifically, Brown would have Damien buy Mac 10s, Mac 11s, 25 millimeter automatic pistols, sniper rifles, and silencers for Mac 10s. What the fuck? Well, how, well, how do, why was he like, oh my God, what was the reasoning? Like, I get it, like to an extent, you know what I mean? Like, I'm poor, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a young kid, I need, I need somewhere to live. He's taking me in and he's showing me the way. But at what point you're like, this guy's a, you know, a music producer. Like, why am I buying? It doesn't make sense. That one's an extent extension for my guitar, you see. So I need that one. That one goes in the piano. This one's just a gun. This one's for me. This one's just for me. Don't I'm gonna put it in my coat. <laughs> I got a 38 special for my wife. Right. Because she yeah. likes 38 special, you see. She didn't understand that it was named after a gun. I got it. this as a gift. Because I'm a producer. <laughs> yeah. Um I would say that he was probably you get your money, your I mean, you get your house, you probably have a car, you have a place to live, you have all these right. cool weapons, you have somebody that's taking care of you. Willful ignorance. He's, he's got a <laughs> shit ton of money. He just doesn't care. Yeah. So uh, yeah, while damn. on the witness, uh, while on the witness stand, Damien had to describe what he saw in Brown's apartment. He saw Brown's White Knight KKK membership card, Brown's Aryan Nation membership card, white supremacist literature, a manual on how to form paramilitary organizations. These are all just on the mantle on the on the coffee table. (laughs) Yeah. And I I guarantee you there was so much more than this that they didn't talk about. Um, Oh, yeah, for sure. And there's probably a lot worse. Definitely. If that shit's just I just he just saw that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, this is all the stuff that the prosecution brought in that he said, did you see this in the par- his apartment? And he said, yes. And he said, what is it? And he said, it's the uh, White Knights KKK membership card signed by, you know, whatever. Um, Michael Jordan. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's rare. <laughs> Hold on to that. It's all I had on me. It's all I had on me. And I ran into him outside of, <laughs> outside of Cheesecake Factory. OK, <laughs> you're not going to not have him sign it, right? <laughs> right. Uh, Damien also had to describe a picture that was found in Brown's apartment it was of a bible study where Brown is with Damien and a number of other shitbags on Hitler's birthday and they're all giving the Nazi salute in front of a Nazi flag you you know he got that that photo was explained to him because there's no way they know it was Hitler's birthday unless there's like a big giant happy birthday Hitler sign in the background yeah no he was like when when was this taken and he said he's like you you see this yeah yeah April 20th you know what else day you know what other day that is right (laughs) we're not gonna talk about that though but you see that that's Hitler's birthday right there (laughs) we were all high as fuck because it was 420 (laughs) So Brown not only be, being one of the greatest 
Christian music producers of the 1980s, was also a member of the White Knights of the KKK. He was a chaplain of the KKK for the state of Tennessee. He was also a member of the Aryan Brotherhood. Jesus. Brown and Damien, along with a number of other shitbags, went to an Aryan Nation meeting to discuss who would fuck whose sister to keep the bloodlines pure or whatever these men talked about. Um, it was actually it, it, this was actually where Damien would meet the Grand Wizard Armstrong. They all went back to the to uh, the apartments of, of Brown and where Damien lived and did whatever Nazis do. Um, Armstrong asked Damien to drive to another party. Uh, and on the way back, they stopped at the synagogue and shot it up. They went back to Damien's yeah. apartment for a party. The next morning, Damien was arrested because of a party noise complaint. The police found an, a- an AK-47 and took it and arrested him for being a minor. They tried to, they tried to get a hold of Damien's parents, but couldn't. Brown came to the police station for him and signed him out as his guardian. Oh my God! What the actual fuck? You're in a lot of trouble, young man. <laughs> You're in a lot of trouble. You understand that? What did you arrest you have him a, for? Have have a part party? Pa- yeah, oh, party. It a, oh, it was a party oh, this is for the yes. party. Oh God! This is a party. God. <laughs> you don't know about the other thing. What other? Th- nothing. I'm a producer. <laughs> I'm a record producer. Do you know who Carmen is? <laughs> God damn it. Dude, do you think Carmen knew? Do you think Carmen knew he was part of all this? I don't know. Oh I God, don't know. I don't want to believe that. I don't want to believe that. You know, I he know he probably ha- did, but I don't want to believe it. He was handing out headshots of autographed pictures of Carmen to all the police officers while he's coming out of the prison. There you go. There you are. <laughs> yeah. So who is who is this? Don't act big. You know. <laughs> Brown took Damien to the farm to hide. The next day, Brown came back to the farm and he was going off the wall because the FBI had just come to his apartment looking for Damien about the shooting. Can you believe that? They came to my place. (laughs) Looking for you. What the fuck? I couldn't couldn't find it anywhere, but I assumed that an informant had tipped them off since this had happened so quickly. Um, Right. it was yeah. Carmen. <laughs> <laughs> I heard some shit, man. I'm just letting you know. I feel really guilty about knowing this guy. Okay, so just fucking get him. Okay, <laughs> he's holding this kid. <laughs> uh, Brown, uh, Brown lied to the FBI uh, about knowing where Damien was. Brown then spray painted Damien's car black, gave him and his girlfriend five hundred dollars in a calling card, and told him to go back to California for a while. What do you mean it's spotty? This is a good fucking job, okay? I have two cans to work with. I couldn't do two coats. Get in. <laughs> the car was white, too, to begin with. Uh, oh, my so God. So you gotta shitty. Cover, yeah, you got to cover that whole thing. <laughs> it's not like brown. It's a, it's not brown or blue where you can, like, miss a little bit. Uh, right, right, right. <laughs> you couldn't get three cans? What the fuck am I going to do with two? <laughs> <laughs> damn it. Uh, uh, during, this, during this trip, uh, Damien called uh, Brown all the way, uh, and eventually they made it to Las Vegas. They ran out of money. Uh, Brown oh wired, wired them another $500. Uh, Jesus. Damien stayed out west for a few months and eventually came back to Tennessee, 
when the heat went down, um, he moved back to the farm and he went back to working on working on it and building the farm up as well as training. He would train oh with a man God. named he would train with a man named Bill Tickle. <laughs> what fucking stupid name? <laughs> Don't even know if it's true or not. But anyway, that's that's true, and it's not a good nickname. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's it's as a warning more than a nickname. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't go over to that corner. That's Bill Tickle's corner. You don't want to go in the Tickle corner. You don't come back the same. <laughs> Bill Tickle, uh, oh my God, had trained a member of the violent right-wing extremist group called The Order. They were responsible for assassinating Jewish talk show host Alan Berg and a string of armed truck robberies in 1984. Jesus, were they going around bragging about it? What the fuck? Yeah, they brag about this shit all the time. Uh, before Damien left the farm, Brown and Damien, uh, actually I didn't put this in there, but they had argued about money, I guess, because Brown had, on top of working on the farm and allowing him to live there, Brown was supposed to pay him and another friend $150 uh, a week, and he wasn't paying him. So it Oh, wow. Oh, wow. The guy who fucking got you out of town after you tried to kill a bunch of people and paid for your life and brought you back wasn't giving you 150 bucks. What a fucking piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the Spider-Man meme where they're just running each other. Right. Are you fucking kidding me? After all I did for you, I spray painted your goddamn car. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck, kid. Get out of my face. Can't you see Carmen's in the booth? (laughs) I'm sorry, Carmen. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we need God in America again. Um, I'm going to call the police again real quick. I'm not informing them of anything. <laughs> Before Damien left the farm the first time, uh, Bra- this came up in testimony. Brown had Damien write a last will and testament because he was sure that if Damien ran from the FBI, he would end up like the leader of the order who had died in a gun battle with police. Oh, shit. During the trial, Brown made the perfectly right decision and represented himself. (laughs) I I read the whole transcript of Damien's questioning, and when Brown had his chance to question him, uh, it was extremely cringeworthy. Oh, my God. Who spray painted your car? Oh, my God. It was it was (laughs) stuff like that. It was just it was like um, in the last will and testament, he said he would leave his car, his white car to brown. But he's like, but your car is spray painted black. How could you be giving it to a a white car away? And he's just that kind of questioning. And then um, there was a question about money. He was just like uh, Damien said that he was making brown was making two hundred thousand dollars a year um back in 1990 for mm-hmm. music producing right uh which comes out to about five hundred thousand dollars a year now but um okay brown was trying to hide that fact and he was trying oh. to talk it down uh he's like you never you never heard you you never nope. heard me say that and then there was another thing where he, on the farm he had Little built pictures house. have big ears <laughs> <laughs> on the farm. He had built a house for Brown's parents. And he was like, how could I have a pair of military training ground when my parents are right there? You know, this kind of bullshit. Um, He's put on my less than $250,000 salary. <laughs> they, I built it out of scraps. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Brown also committed perjury when he lied to three different grand juries. Oh, my God. One of the men in the photo that Damien had to identify was Bobby Joe Norton. Brown thought it would be a great idea to call Norton to the stand as his own witness. He asked him about the Nazi salute with the question, is it possible that the Aryan nation used this salute to salute the King of Kings? What? Basically saying, don't we use this salute as a religious gesture to Jesus? And not as so a Nazi like, salute. And thus outing himself as definitely part of the group. And but also just being like, it makes it okay. <laughs> and and he, he had a long string of stuff saying that the Aryan Nations was not a violent organization. You guys are crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh no. yeah. I forgot to mention Bobby Lee Norton was also convicted and sentenced to federal prison for five years for an attempted synagogue bombing in 1983. Probably not the best guy to call as a witness stand. Um, and when was the when was all this happening again? The trial was 1990, 86, right? Oh, 90? Oh, yeah. goddamn. God, yeah, what the fuck? This guy is just so full of himself. He's like, they're not going to look. They're not going to look. <laughs> <laughs> the next day, it's on the f- fucking front page. And he called him to the stand. Oh, they looked. Oh, I overshot that. <laughs> They're not. Well, you miss all the like... shots you don't take. <laughs> he, he, when he's filling out, like, oh, I have to list my uh, my uh, my witnesses. Okay, here they are. They'll never check. Yes. They'll never check. In parentheses, <laughs> don't look this guy up. <laughs> Uh, synagogue bomber of 83 (laughs) that's all he wrote i don't remember his name (laughs) during cross-examination in the trial among a list of terrible and false things that brown claimed he was asked about the holocaust and he denied that it ever happened what brown was found guilty of accessory after the fact to a conspiracy to violate civil rights under 18 usc three and 241 two of the hate crime laws in the united states and for perjury he was sentenced to 27 months and fined ten thousand dollars what the actual fuck so nothing that's literally domestic terrorism (laughs) yeah uh he was not charged for any illegal weapons he was i mean this is what i'm talking about whether where they I'm sure they had a ton more stuff that they could have brought to trial. How old was this kid when all this happened again? He was 17 when this happened. This trial took place in the minors. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a whole lot of stuff I'm sure he could have gotten in trouble for that he didn't. Um, Wow, man. Yeah. Uh, 27 months? Yeah, 27 months. So two years and three months. So... Um, people get more time for fucking like an ounce of weed like holy yep, shit absolutely uh to my surprise it was barely mentioned in the christian world and just in passion passing in the christian music world with just a few short articles in, in major publications um yeah that's like on it's the, one of those things where it's like i'm that wow i'm shocked but then you're like but i'm not <laughs> yeah when I started researching this, uh, this was this has been a couple of years that I've been doing this. Um, That's really well fucking research, man. I was doing another podcast with the guy I do the Holy Hour with. Uh, we uh-huh. were trying to make one up, just like strange music stories. And uh, so this was like 
three or four years ago i started looking this right and on wikipedia it was barely mentioned like it was just mentioned that he was like in jail for whatever this crime was but not going into any detail about anything super vague yeah now it's more updated with a lot more information but you still have to go through and read a lot of the stuff and i'm going to get into the reason why but um okay uh according to damon damien and to the court brown had been convicted legally and publicly of giving uh, of of living a double life he had been using his minor fortune from royalties from some of the biggest name in christian music to support white supremacy organizations, to traffic weapons, running a refuge for white supremacist criminals, building a training facility for white supremacists and Christian nationalists and more. I wonder what else he hid from the investigations or was hidden, hid by the investigators. I wonder what else he used with his money for. And I wonder if he used his personal, uh, if I wonder if he used his personal gifts for the white supremacist music scene at all. I'm sure he did. Couldn't it be imaginable that Brown used his recording studios and his recording skills to help produce racist filled music and spoken word material and maybe even do it freely? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Not saying it happened, but it could have. Sounds like you're on something, onto something to me, man. Yeah. Uh, Damien went to serve in Desert Storm and then went to work for NASCAR as a mechanic. Nice. He then created a successful company that specialized in public work safety surveillance called Banjo. But he resigned from the company in 2020 after his company won a major contract with the state of Utah. But people did some research on his name and all this came out. He claims he no longer is that person and that he was a teenager when none of this happened. But I, and I have heard heard or seen nothing otherwise that he that he's gone back to that type of life. Uh, I believe that he's a changed person by all accounts. He did. I mean, it sucks that he stepped away um, from a company that he founded um, mm. when all this came out. Uh, but it's not. I don't know. It's it's a tough thing to think yeah. about. Yeah, because you start thinking about the the the. Uh all the factors that go into his situation. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah I definitely agree with you on that. Cause he, really... he essentially got away scot-free uh, <clears throat> from everything that happened. Um, right. So he there's was also definitely... a kid, but also right. we have to look at the fact that our, he's also white and our, our legal system wouldn't have been, been as kind to him if he wasn't white. Right. So yeah, there's a, a lot uh, going into it. I mean, there I I've been struggling over whether or not it's good that he stepped away, bad that he stepped away. He should have been forced to step away. I don't know. He did it himself, and good for him. Um, I think he definitely. Yeah. I think the yeah. I don't know. I think that there's some kind of cosmic, you know, uh, retribution there. I guess. Yeah, you know what I mean. And, and, and on also the people that you work for that that work for you they lose faith in you once this comes out for one thing. Oh yeah. Fuck yeah. That, sh- that then, shakes everything. So that's going to, the whole company's going to be affected. <laughs> yeah. Who's going to want to do business with somebody that with this type of history. So, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, maybe now he can start a new life with a, uh, with a new company and like come up with something new with that past in mind. Right. And with everybody knowing it and he can build something without a shadow and or skeletons in his closet, you know? 
So, yeah, I mean, the best thing he could have done as a person, though, would be to not do what he did. I mean, that's oh, the, absolutely. That's yeah, the yeah. that's the that's the cut and dry answer. I mean, but yeah. since he did do it, and um, we are we're, we're, he was a kid, and I'm yeah. sure he there were we're all a stupid. lot of factors. Yeah, we're all stupid teenagers. Yeah, so. Well, also too, like the all the shit with like he was homeless, he's running away, you mm-hmm. know, all that shit. So, mm-hmm. but Absolutely. he could have stepped up a lot sooner. That's for fucking sure. <laughs> well, yeah, but he didn't. But, uh, yeah, but uh, Brown, on the other hand, went to jail for two years. He never talked about that time uh, that he spent in jail or his double life. Uh, he went on to do some Christian music producing uh, after prison, but nothing close <laughs> to what he did before. Coincidentally, Greg, Greg X. Vols went through a divorce around that same time uh, this was going on, and he retired from music for seven years. Do you happen to have any of the uh, the names or anything he worked with after he got out? Yeah, I do, but it's not anybody anybody big or nothing worth of mention. Um, not it's like nobody, Toby Keith. <laughs> yeah, nobody like nobody like Petch or anything. Um, mm-hmm. Brown would go on uh, to do some really odd and crazy shit after prison as well, though. Uh, he recorded his own album under the name The Nazarite mm-hmm. and recorded one album called Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. Um. About the album, Brown said, I made a vow of the Nazarite for strength spiritually and physically in about 1989. The hair on my head is from then. When I went to prison, I understood why I needed strength and lots of it. I think that's the only thing he ever said about going to jail. Um, other than he said it was his, his federal sabbatical. What the fuck? Yeah, so... That's not dismissive. Uh, yeah, so he grew out his hair, and uh, I believe he abstained from alcohol and drugs at oh, that man. point. Well, and, as he said, he did. Yeah, uh, I listened to the album. It's fucking terrible, mm. um, but it didn't stop some Christian outlets from giving it de- good to decent reviews. Sounds like he came out of prison uh, as Jared Leto up top, <laughs> but. Uh, that didn't matter that some Christian organizations gave it good reviews to some either by association or by message have it had found a home in the darkest hearts of humanity. I didn't want to read the listen to it again and write down the lyrics, but I couldn't find lyrics anywhere. Um, I only listened to it once. So I couldn't find any like overtly racist lyrics, but mm. uh, a few people on the, the, white supremacist website stormfront oh god claim claimed it was worth owning a christian national christian nationalist leader james brugman said of the album i don't know if jonathan's suburb talent has brought him before great men yet but if not this is our guess that the release of this collection of 10 songs will be that entree his gifts will make room for him to witness to God's law to them. Hmm. Christian hmm, nationalist I leader. I don't like none of that. No. <laughs> Why is he talking like that? Somebody stop that man from speaking like that. That's no, that's not okay. His entree. His entree. Look at that guy. That's so gross. <laughs> Num, 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 num. Um, anyone ever fucking speaks to me like that i'm gonna smack him in the mouth just like a little t- like a little pop 
<laughs> no. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> um, in 1998, Brown was invited uh, was invited preacher at the Winter Music Fest and Gospel Gathering held in Feb- on February 27th to March 1st in Branson, Missouri. Other Christian identity speakers also preached, like James Brugman. Merch sellers. Oh, these... oh my God. Merch sellers were slinging materials on Christian identity, conspiracy theories, and specifically the prodigals of the elders of Zion, which is a Christian, uh, which is like the text for a lot of these fucking wackadoo people, including like right. Alex Jones and, and all these other people. Uh, a former CCM journalist who was one of the only people to cover Brown in his trial admitted to the little attention given to the trial and even his own lack of attention. But John Trott felt convicted to dive deeper back around 2009. Someone had posted on the website Crossrhythms UK about the, about the Nazarite album. Trott made a comment about how Brown was still into Christian identity and out of the shadows, Brown appeared to come uh-huh. back to Trot. Um, I'm a producer. <laughs> I'm a producer and only a producer. No, I don't know what you speak of. I went to prison. Uh, that was a sabbatical. <laughs> on oh, this is what he said. The on his idea of uh, still believing Christian identity, the idea that what I believe is contrary to Scripture is not explained in your post. You have no idea what I believe, only what others have said. I am merely a servant of Yahweh, nothing more. And in fact, the modern churches have given only lip service to Yahweh's laws, which is why the nations is the shape it is in. They have filled their plates with unclean food and brought about his fury. Isaiah 65, 1 through 6, Matthew 5, 19. Even so... We must be patient with all who are claiming to belong to him that that we might remain on the path of righteousness. And you only listen to music with four count beats. So fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) On on the old guide to Petra website, which is no longer there. You have to use a way back machine. Brown talked about his grandfather and how his grandfather taught him Christian identity. Quote, that sounds he was like an, a touching moment. He was an anointed man of God. Several years before I was born, he came to the understanding about our Israelite heritage. This and the seed he planted with regards to God's commandments <sighs> and probably the reason I am the, the way I am. He passed the mantle on to me. He also commented, quote, I do believe that I am directly descended of Judah of my father's mother's side and Levi on my father's father's. I do believe against, I do believe against interracial marriages. I guess according to them, those beliefs make me racist. (laughs) BT dubs. (laughs) I just want to sign out that your wokeness is the problem. He, he also would lay out his own reasoning, which I'm not going to go into because it's fucking yeah, yeah. gross. I'm sure it's, yeah, I'm sure it's um, very, very of, racist. <laughs> of biblically in his own rationality of why interracial marriages is wrong. Right. The same man who sang and produced a song, We Don't Need No Color Code. 
Oh my god. Yeah, that goes to show he, that he's just going with the times. Yeah. It's also really funny that he when he's like explaining, look, I'm racist because my grandfather was racist. Uh so he, I'm racist. He, my children passed, will be racist. <laughs> right. And as an old man who was a racist that made it okay, it's okay for me to be racist too. <laughs> It's passed down, okay? It's lineage. <laughs> Show some respect. I'm a producer. <laughs> it's in the pure bloodlines. Jesus. Here's your uh, common headshot. Don't act big. Don't act big. He, he would also write a book and took up a really weird belief structure called the Lunar Sabbath. Brown is being noted as being the modern father of this belief. He wrote a book about it called keeping yahweh's appointments in 1998 it's the it's the idea that the sabbath is kept by the lunar cycle and not by the heathen babylonian calendar Mm. i'm not going to get into it but as you can guess people that follow this growing idea probably have some less stellar ideas on race um i found some get into it uh, uh, no (laughs) (laughs) i want to know why you think that I found one source online claiming that they had heard the idea being kicked back by Christian identity leaders um, and citing Brown's book as a source text for their beliefs. Um, But uh, it also, the belief is basically that when the moon starts a new cycle is you're supposed to start seven days after that point is the Sabbath. But because the lunar cycle isn't the same each month, it can be 29 to 30 days. Your Sabbath gets all messed up. So it might fall on a Tuesday. That's so complicated, man. Yeah. I don't like that. I don't like yeah. none of that. So <laughs> It makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I would I show up to pro- church on the wrong day every day. <laughs> I would just show up every day. I'm like, is this today? No one's here today? Okay. It was last <laughs> Wednesday, <laughs> Gerald. God damn it. What's happening? I'm not going to go to heaven. I'm not going to go. <laughs> I have rapture anxiety, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I I tried to comb through as much as I could, trying to find an artist who has actually criticized Brown for his double life or views. I couldn't find anything from Petra or Greg Exvolves. Um, I found people praising Brown and and like excusing or being, you know, he had some weird beliefs, but he was a man of God or yada, you know, nothing condemning him. Steve Taylor was the only one I could find who really spoke about it. And in 1994, Steve, 1994 interview, and Steve Taylor probably knew nothing about what was actually in the trial. Mm-hmm. Um, because not a lot of people knew about anything that happened in the trial until that dude that ran the company got Damien got exposed. Oh, yeah, right. That kind of oh, blew it up, you know. It so, kind of just swept it under the rug, so to speak. Yeah. So Steve Taylor quote, and this is kind of a long quote, so I'm sorry. Um, Go for it. There was no indication beforehand of that when I worked with him, but there was, there was a strong indication that he was like a nutcase when I was working with him on meltdown and not in a dangerous sense. And I don't know if I want to talk about the whole, a whole lot of this on tape because I don't want to gossip about it, but I will say that during the making of meltdown, (laughs) He became very, very, for whatever reason, he just became very like weird 
and almost to a place where it actually got to a place where I just didn't want to work with him anymore and actually took him off the project about three quarters of the way through meltdown. I was going to mm. finish it with someone else. And he came back and apologized and said that he would finish, you know, get his act together and finish it off. I'm sorry. Uh, my grandpa's just racist. <laughs> Makes me look, I'll explain it later. Let's just finish this. The wild thing is we just put together this box set that Sparrow was just going to do whether I wanted them or not. So I figured, well, I better just get on with it. And so we mastered all the stuff from, from these different records and all the stuff that Jonathan produced and engineered sonically and everything like that. He was a genius. And, you know, you won't hear me say that very often, but he was a real he was a really genius. It's like he was he put all that stuff up and we did we didn't have to EQ it because whether you like the sound or not sonically, it was really brilliant. It's all just a drag, you know. I don't know what happened to him, but I know it's really ticked me off when I heard about all the racist stuff and think it's probably a little nuts, a little far gone at all. And I don't want to make excuses for him because I think that stuff is so insidious. I think jail is good, a good thing for him. Probably God, hopefully God will get a hold of him in jail and make him realize the error and the ugliness of all that stuff. Wow. End quote. That was a, so, that sounded like a, that guy was basically the whole time like, I know some stuff I want to talk about, but I don't feel comfortable talking about. <laughs> yeah, he was like, this guy's really fucking weird. And like, I got to get out of here. But like, yeah, I don't know what happened during the project. And like, Steve wouldn't talk about it. So, like, off know. the record, like, for real, like, he would make me <laughs> scream at crucifixes into a microphone. <laughs> I didn't understand it, but he'd be like, you better do it. <laughs> he'd walk around with a bed sheet and say he's a ghost and just be like, well, we need to go. He said, like, don't look at me he, the whole time. I'm like, it's hard not to look at you. <laughs> it's hard not to, honestly, John. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, That's really some quick. crazy shit. I can't believe any of that. That's so, Wow. So I bring up the point of nobody really saying anything within the Christian world and Steve Taylor being the only one to say anything. Because I'm going to put this in context. Since Brown left prison in 1992, <clears throat> Brown Jennings Hill, an abortion, uh, anti-abortion right-wing extremist, took a 12-day shotgun and murdered a gynecologist, John Britton, and his bodyguard to save babies. In 1994, John... Salvini III, member of the Army of God, took a modified semi-automatic rifle and murdered two and shot five others at a Planned Parenthood. In 1995, right-wing extremists Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols parked a van outside a government building and detonated a bomb at the time where the most death and violence would occur at 9.02 a.m. 168 people were killed, including 14 children, because there was a daycare inside. In 1996, a Christian identity member, Eric Rudolph, set off a series of bombings in the South, including the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta. He murdered two and injured more than 100. In 1998, the mangled and decapitated body of a black man, James Bird Jr., was found outside an African-American church. Three white supremacists dragged Bird's body for three miles. He was alive for half of it, but died when his arm and his head were severed from his body when he hit a bridge. 
1999, two brothers who were Christian identity members set fire to two synagogues and murdered a gay couple in California. Also in 1999, a neo-Nazi neo World Church of the Creator member, Benjamin Nathaniel Smith, went on a shooting spree against Jews and Black people in Illinois and Indiana that killed two people and injured nine. Also in 1999, Buford Farrow Jr. took an Uzi machine gun and shot up an L.A. Jewish community center, killing one and injuring five. In 2000, Richard Scott Bergmans went on a shooting spree, shooting the facing two synagogues, killing five and injuring one. I will stop at 2000 because we could be here all day. This doesn't include all the daily violence against minorities in, in, in society committed by extreme white wing in the, from this country and the clan, from the clan to the Proud Boys. Just in the fast, mm. fast five years, anti-Semitic and anti-Asian crimes have skyrocketed. Brown died on September 27, 2016. He left behind five children. Before we finish up, I need to grab a soapbox for a moment. And I need to talk to the church as a whole right now, just in case we ever get a Christian listener. Yeah, step <clears> up <throat> on that shit, bro. Uh, hey, how's it going? Not well, huh? You're losing people at record pace and you seem powerless to stop it. You blame li liberal Christianity. You blame people like our co my co-hosts and our guests. You blame people like Brent Detweiler. The problem has been in the shadows all along. Your followers live. I wouldn't even call them double lives any longer. They're more out in the open with their hatred and bigotry than ever before. So they're just living. Dear pastors preach about how you behave online. Dear pastors preach about loving, truly loving your neighbor, let alone your enemies. Dear pa pastors preach about race or empathy for minorities. Do your churches reach out? and have open discussions with your communities. Yes, I sound like I'm pushing liberal godless Christianity, maybe. But liberal Christianity, Christianity never took a black man, beat the piss out of him, spray painted his face, pissed and shit on him, changed his body, changed his still alive body to the back of a pickup truck, drag him until his, and dragged him until he fell apart. 81 piece of his body was found along the path that he was drugged. Liberal Christianity has never done that. And yes, they aren't real Christians. You may say that. They don't follow the word of Christ. They're in your church. They sit next to you. They put money in the plate like you every Sunday. They cry and raise their hands as they sing, Lord, I lift your name on high. They lurk on the internet and spew their hate. They might not believe in Christian identity, but they are filled with hate and make it known. They support men who want nothing but to put a world in power that is close to what John, Jonathan David Brown wanted and all those other murderers. You've had this problem for a long ass time now. You embrace this beast like a junkie with a needle since the 1950s and have been getting your supply from the inside since then. As your political and societal power grew, you allowed and embraced the hate and demonization. You allowed these men to water and grow seeds in your pews, and now the weeds are overgrowing and out of control. You sat there and let it grow over you. You openly campaigned, supported, and voted for fascists, bigots, racists, misogynists, and hateful people in order to gain more power 
inviting all of that into your church. You sell your soul for tactics and statuses. You lead wars against communists to gays, gay people, to Islam, to trans kids, and anybody who is a Democrat or a liberal. You support cutting any safety nets to protect the people who need the, the most. You cheer seeing children being ripped away from their parents and op openly disobeying the word of God on how to treat refugees and foreigners. You protect abusers and do exactly what the Catholic Church does. But you're no better. You're just not as organized. You fail for every fad and every fear of pros prosperity or purity scam, all while not addressing the violent elephant in the room that's ready to strike. Young eyes have been seeing their whole have been seeing this their whole lives. And now adults are saying this is fucked up. And this is where this is why our listeners are here why we're here and why you are losing members at a record pace. You refuse to, to do the difficult things and you refuse to have the difficult discussions. You refuse to cut the cancer out. You refuse to burn the weeds and save the church. You've had the chance to fix it, but it'll cost more than in the short term than you're ever willing to give up. So with that, you're on your own. And to that, I say, a fucking men, man. Amen. So. Fucking hell. So, but lastly, before we go, the next time you're chilling with your parents, sipping some tea on the back porch, enjoying the breeze of freedom through your hair, and Petra <laughs> and Twilight, Twilight Paris are playing in the background, you've got a fun tale to tell your parents and how they probably supported some, some violent right-wing extremism in the 80s that wasn't related to their taxes. That, yeah, that's fucking perfect. What did you think of John then David Brown? Well, despite what he may say, I think he may be more than just a producer. <laughs> what a fucking piece of shit that guy was. What a roller coaster, man. <laughs> good Lord. It... That was like the good old days of Law and Order. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's amazing not amazing it boggles my mind and bothers me a lot that i don't know where his money went i mean what did you sure. support yeah i get what you're saying like where like yeah secretively I mean, where did it go is what you're saying i could do a whole list of violent right-wing extremism before he went to jail Right. What did what did it was any of his money put into that? I don't know. Like it's like, like once, it's, like once he got out, he knew to be more careful about shit. Basically, uh, and was like, probably. Yeah. And like I'm yeah. sure the money wasn't flowing in like it was before. I don't know, man. Maybe he had more backing after he got out because people saw what he was about. The people that wanted him to be involved. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but like each time that a uh, a Petra Greatest Hits came out. Cha-ching! Uh, every time a Twilight yeah. Paris Greatest Hits came out, cha-ching! You know and that's why they recruited him even more after he got out of prison. They're like, "Look, we need to get him. He's got Petra money, okay?" Now I didn't say petrol, not gas, <laughs> not oil. We're talking fucking Petra, bro. He's bringing in serious dollars. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, it's. Uh, I I I would. 
it's so fucked up because of like I'm not claiming that he did anything violent. But there's no way of knowing. There's no way of knowing where his money went to. And if he's buying weapons, setting up training, a paramilitary training facility, if he's hiding people that are trying to get away from the FBI or the police from committing right-wing extremism... Yeah, that seemed he did. He seemed to do that pretty quickly on his feet. To be honest, like yeah. he seemed very prepared. Maybe he'd done it before. And let's not let's not pretend that he started doing this when Damien showed up. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So I have for a while. Yeah, no idea how long. Uh, with who? Are you saying this so, motherfucker's got sleeper cells? <laughs> Oh, shit. I'm terrified right now, dude. <laughs> I just scared myself. <laughs> no, I mean He's, this is so long ago. I don't think after he got mass out text, text go out, the dove yeah. has left the coop. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> after he got out of jail, I don't assume that he ran with the KKK or the Aryan Nation anymore. Um if he did, it was very on the DL. Uh I believe that he ran in the Christian identity movement and tried to push that more and did more mm. on like the preaching aspect and message aspect rather than mm. any type of uh, funding or anything. But again, I don't have the receipts, so I don't know. Right. I know he died in Oklahoma. That's that's and he has kids and that's all pretty much all I know. We got to talk to his kids. I want to find out about his kids. We got to find out about his kids. What if his kids are like completely like against everything he ever did? I have no clue. Yeah. Or they're for, or he's for everything that he did and they're showing us now. Um, Oh, check it out. We got, we got our first email. (laughs) (laughs) What is a, what's a cease and and a dice list? What? Oh, desist. So, yeah, um, another thing that's concerning to me that I didn't bring up is I had it in the little speech that I gave and I deleted it. But Mm -hmm. the fact, go listen to some of the lyrics from Carmen, from Petra, these spiritual warfare lyrics and shift the focus from like an abstract or like a spiritualized demon to a more personified literal demon, literal demon, like Democrats or socialist or whoever they are demonizing now. Specific religions. So when I hear, I'm not saying that that Brown had any influence on these lyrics. But it's concerning. It it adds an air of uh, more air of like uh, sinisterness to it. Yes, and it makes it more potent to what the message is actually. You can't say it like because the I remember growing up being like this is really violent, even though we're not mm-hmm. supposed to be violent. You're basically saying we have to fight for our country. That this video I just watched, the Carmen videos of. God in America, you know, this in high schools, all that shit going on and stuff. Mm-hmm. So you're like, this is violent. And now you're, yeah, I don't. 
it's 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 kind of like this whole research has opened my eyes and i i could be going over the top or you know just seeing something that's not there but um no you you got you you're right dude it's one of those instances like i honestly just lost my train of thought a little bit talking about it because i'm so programmed to not believe that that's a like it's still in my subconsciousness that that's not that that these videos the christian videos the christian songs even though how violent they may seem how aggressive they may seem it's what's necessary it's what uh -huh. we need to be talking about so even you bringing that to me like literally me that's why i stopped for a second i forgot where i was going with it because i'm like no 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 <laughs> you know what yeah. i mean because yeah. we are we're fucking brainwashed in that sense and it's mm -hmm. and i think that it it goes for so long without being checked and being said that it's a metaphor that people forget like no this is a real idea that people have and you're promoting it you can't say this is a metaphor when people are actually going out and doing shit like this mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you're fucking promoting it. yeah because i never thought about it that way until you just fucking said it to be 100 percent honest and you're you're hitting the nail on the head you can transition a child from believing that spiritual warfare needs to become physical warfare absolutely um, absolutely I just don't mean child as as a child is as like uh, you know a little child. I mean like a spiritual no. child. Yeah, anybody, anybody who's you're, they like to make that they like to make that analogy all the time, don't they? That when you become a Christian again, you're born again, you're a baby yes. again, you're you're new, you're new at this. So treat them like that. And part of the soapbox moment was that people are joining the church now that have right. a lot of these quirky views and mm -hmm. they're being embraced and it's really fucking scary um yeah it is and they've had their chance and it's 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 seen the articles i'm reading articles every day about you know people like we've got to stop this and i'm like dude mm -hmm. you fucking had your chance man you had your chance years ago and it's not your you try to stand up now as much as i want you to you're just gonna get your go for it. I want you to, but like, y'all, y'all seen the Lion King? You're gonna be Mufasa. <laughs> <laughs> like you're, the beast is too big. Absolutely, it's, it's not David it, and Goliath. It's it's no. I don't know what it is. It's I don't know. It needs Walmart to be coming it, into your town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the only way to stop it is uh, many people. That's the only mm -hmm. way it's going to be stopped ever. It's not going to. But if you go to these, yeah. you go to on these, uh, you listen to these pastors day to day basis, they're going after gays. Trans, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 it's, and it's not a spiritual thing either. It's not like a, oh, uh, you know, they're spiritually unclean. They need to be mm -hmm. helped. It's not nothing like that. It's they're filthy. They're tainting the world. They're hurting our children. And it's it's based on what? Nothing but your own hate. And mm -hmm. it, the message is just getting passed out way faster than it ever used to be. Like we have these whole thing. Every, all the research we're doing is based on movements that created whole sects of denominations and everything. Mm -hmm. How long did it take those things to get into place? 50 to 100 years sometimes? Now we have fucking TikTok and everything and fucking pastors are blowing up 
in a bad way where their messages are getting passed along and believed. So how yep. fucking long is it going to be till we have a new fucking, you know, Seventh Day Adventist because of a goddamn TikTok preacher? You know what I mean? Or yep. just another? Are are that's that's taking it lightly? Like, well, how long is it going to be until we have another fucking like national thing happen? You know what I mean? Like an Oklahoma City or a uh... yeah? I just didn't want to say it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. No, I I don't want it to happen. But you know what? It's that's the truth. It is. I was just so, dancing around it, but that's what it that's what it fucking is. The how long is that going to be until then? Yep. It's yep. teed up. It's it's almost always teed up because of shit like this. I'm trying and to look up a never fucking right. recognize, never fucking acknowledge that it's always leads back to that because no one wants to admit guilt because the second it guilt's admitted, then the whole fucking structure falls, which is what we've admitted. Like what we we've talked about many times mm-hmm. in the church, let alone the fucking country. So um, do you remember the Carmen song, Our Turn Now? Yeah. That With wasn't Petra- me singing, that was my voice wavering. <laughs> <laughs> Petra's in that song. I know that fucking song. Are you serious? Yes. Okay, here, here are some of the lyrics. Listen to me. I'm going to let you know something, Carmen. It's a special treat. I bought in Petra today, and we're going to record together. <laughs> Almighty God, we acknowledge our, depend- our dependence upon thee and beg for thy blessings upon us, our, our parents, our teachers, and our country. And then... Uh, it's got this this rock part. The ball got dropped in 62. Oh, God, flashbacks. <laughs> they wouldn't let children pray in school. Violent <laughs> crime began to rise. <laughs> the craze went down and the kids got high. This is a and great it- song to play for children. <laughs> uh, and then the... the um, I'm not going to go like free love, gay rights, no absolutes, abortion on demand, brought VD, AIDS, and no morality. Oh, Jesus yeah. I remember Christ. jamming to this song. I remember jamming to this song. Um, today, <sighs> no one knows right from wrong. Their blood on people's hands. World, you had to turn, you had your turn at bat. Now stand back and see that it's our turn now. Something's got to change. We're going to bind that devil at every hand by the power of Jesus' name. Now, read into those lyrics what you may, mm-hmm. but now shift that focus from binding the devil to binding X, Y, and Z because they're now the devil. They're, new, they're the demon. Right. And we have all been there because we've heard it in our churches. And we've heard yeah. from our parents. And we've seen it in practice in the real world. And we've we've seen so, it. When you think of Carmen, don't think that it's I mean, yes, it's funny and it's and it's it's stupid and it's over the top, but at its core, it's it's Christian nationalism. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing that I yeah. Yeah. It goes deeper than that too. And um well, that's the reason I always joke about Carmen specifically so much is because that shit was the main shit I listened to mm-hmm. growing up and stuff. And it does. I have good yeah. memories with it, which has been the hardest part with the therapy for me because I'm like breaking shit apart and like, oh, mm-hmm. wait, what was it? What was the underlying theme here? You know what I mean? 
but I agree with you 100. That that's that's yeah. the dangerous area where we where we keep talking about is like you keep just saying no, it's a metaphor. No, we're saying blah blah blah. We're just yeah. showing our pride as Christians. There's nothing wrong with being pride in our having pride in our country and being proud to be a Christian. No, you violently want though. to overthrow the government and lock right. up everybody who doesn't believe with you or worse. And harm or harm anyone who a couple of people say that might stop us from having our ideal world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That doesn't that's mm-hmm. y'all sound like Nazis. <laughs> huh. <laughs> All right. And with that, we're gonna leave it there. Um, we're gonna say the quiet part out loud. <laughs> you can follow me at Chaz X Cure or Seventeen Underscore Seconds. You can listen to my other podcast, The Holy Hour, where Gavin and I talk all things Cure related. That's the band, The Cure. The band. You can follow the podcast because I can't forget to mention that at XCOM Pod on Instagram and uh, TikTok. TikTok. You can also you can, email us there. Yes. And you can find us on Facebook at the Excommunication Station Podcast. Mm-hmm. You can thank you to Iron Sheik for providing us with the intro and outro song. Those heads are our heads. And you can listen to Donovan's other podcast. Uh, it's called Laughing With You, Not At You. It is a podcast to do with my wife where we talk about our mental health struggles, but being parenting, being parents <laughs> at the same time. It's a... Uh, yeah we're scheduling some stuff i know i say it every week for real for real for real but for real we are scheduling it right now (laughs) awesome um i do want to say though uh i do appreciate the people that have been reaching out to uh chaz and the podcast and everyone everything to be on uh it's it's amazing that you guys want to be part of this and we're i'm i'm so glad to be part of something that's helping out anybody and Hearing everyone's yes. stories has helped me. So, and to know that it's helping you guys is a extremely good thing for me personally. So, thank you for that. That's my selfish yeah. little moment. <laughs> yeah. But if, if you, you want to come, yeah, if you want to come on, we're never going to say no. But right. I just, I there's, I gotta fit you in. So, <laughs> right. Yeah, I was also the, gonna yeah. just say, I was also gonna just say, if you want, if you guys want to just reach out and not be on, I. You, please we would be cool to have more people do that because we don't get a lot of that where people just you know want to talk to us or just have a story they want to share we don't mm-hmm. have to share it on the podcast but if you would have a story that you don't want to tell but you would love to share we would i'd be happy to read it for you on the podcast for sure yeah absolutely um we can do that, a, i just wanted to put that soon. out there so. yeah that'd be super cool so if the email the actual email is just xcompod at gmail.com or you can message us on yeah. instagram and facebook Chaz usually gets back to everybody pretty quickly try to uh the email that's your division yeah um, and, and, and uh, i'm lonely <laughs> <laughs> i'm looking at all the because i get the notifications when chaz yeah. gets fucking instagram messages and i'm like looking ah, at my gmail shit. the Sorry. only one i got is fucking uh gmail is like welcome to gmail i'm like thank you <laughs> oh, i'm sorry i'm just kidding i'll sign I'm you kidding. up I'm to mailing list fuck yeah dude now i'm just gonna get like spam like single hot milfs in your area i'm like god damn it <laughs> Uh, <laughs> all right let's go enjoy our sundays i swear to god if you sign me up for some Christ- christian fucking newsletters christian mingle. <laughs> oh. all right peace be with you and with your spirit my brother and everybody say i like my looks i like my personality marching to pretoria marching to pretoria